invite you to take your Bibles and turn this morning to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 uh, in our Bibles. I have for years, I don't know how long, probably decades, I could even say, uh, received a periodical uh, entitled Israel My Glory. I don't know how many of you have seen that regular magazine that comes out. It's produced by the Friends of Israel organization. And in each edition, there's a focus on events in the Middle East, um, other current events in the world that are affecting Israel. But there's also helpful Bible studies and spotlights on persecuted Christians around the world. Um, There's a consistent challenge to evangelism and missions as well. And so it's been edifying again and again. But several years ago, there was a particular edition that revolved around the theme of answering the call. It's actually the title on, on the cover page. And then uh, one article in that edition was called God's Call for the Directionally Challenged. And uh, it started this way. This was the time where GPS devices were first coming out and becoming popular. But uh, the article started, An unfamiliar voice suddenly pierced the silence of my car. Exit right in 500 feet, then turn left. For a moment, my heart started racing. No, I was not hearing the voice of God. It was the first time my hearing a command from my brand new GPS. Uh, Regaining my composure, I dutifully obeyed the clear directive and arrived exactly where I needed to be. What an amazing tool for those of us that are directionally challenged. And the author went on to say that one of the most perplexing issues in missions is the matter of God's call. Perhaps you've heard missionaries share about being called to a specific people or country. Do they have some kind of heavenly GPS? Is it really possible to receive such clear direction from God? And then they answered, the good news is that God's word provides answers for the directionally challenged. The text that we have arrived at this morning in our study of this book does not give straightforward instruction uh, about uh, discerning a call, but what it does is gives us the story of several men that were called by our Lord and responded in an exemplary fashion. In verse number 18, if you're here now in Matthew 4, we learn the names of the first two sets of brothers. You can look there, you can see Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. And in addition to their names, while you're still looking there, you can see their occupation. They were what? They were, it says, fishermen. And then if you go down to verse 21, we learn the names of the second set of brothers. These two were James. And then you can see his brother John. They were also, we're told, fishermen by occupation. And if we were to take both sets of these brothers together, um, as some surmise they were in business together and and why they were even discussed that way, pointing to that direction, um, if that's the case, they were in a business that supported at least four family units and owns two boats and would have had all the other equipment that would go into that kind of a business 
And at the summons of Jesus, as it's given in verse number 19 to Peter and Andrew, he saith unto them, follow me. And in verse number 21, uh, he called uh, James and John to, to follow him. And at the summons of Jesus, you have four adult men in business together uh, with the father of James and John, perhaps. And at his summons, they just leave behind all of that business and follow him. I'm not going to take the time this morning to, to demonstrate my next statement, but I do want to alert you to the fact that while Matthew's report here could leave us with the impression that, you know, Jesus just walked up to men that he'd never known before and out of the blue just says, follow me, there actually was a fair amount of interaction between the Lord and these men prior to this point. That interaction is recorded for us in the Gospel of John. I'm not going to turn there. But it's recorded in John 1 through chapter 4, the early part of John chapter 4. And what we learn from that account is that these men had been previously followers of John the Baptist. And they had responded to his preaching ministry. You can remember that John's preaching theme was what? In one word you could say it was repent and then he added for the what? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. These men that the Lord calls now had already responded to John's message of repentance. And they had actually been baptized on John's baptism in a public display of repentance. In addition to that, they were with John when John saw Jesus coming. And remember, John said about Jesus, behold the Lamb of God, which does what? Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And when John said that, they embraced Jesus' true identity, and they trusted in him to be their Savior. And we also learn in those early chapters of John that they started serving the Lord right away, even while they continued this occupation of being fishermen. And I'm, I'm drawing attention to that even though Matthew doesn't because it is instructive for us. If you want to know what kind of mission God would have for you, whether here or in some foreign country, if you want to know what kind of mission God would have you to pursue in service for him, you're definitely going to arrive at some significant crossroads, but perhaps the most significant is, is whether or not you are responding to the initial steps in the pathway and in the process of the Lord's preparing you for his will. You can never be sure that you are right where God wants you, doing exactly what he wants you to be doing, if you don't, first of all, confess your sinful condition and put all your dependence for forgiveness of sin in the provision of Jesus Christ alone, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. And then there will be a whole series of steps, such as following the Lord in baptism committing to assembling yourselves together with God's people in a local church as a first-rate priority. There will be renewing your, your mind day and night in the Scripture. 
There will be the breaking off of sinful practices that poison the heart and destroy a testimony. There will be learning what it is to in all your ways acknowledge the Lord and and let Him direct your paths. There will be purposing right from the beginning to live for the spread of the gospel and the advancement of, of, of Christ's kingdom. All of those things are the entry into and the early days and the early stages of the Christian walk. And brethren, if you're ever going to really know that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing with your life, right where you're supposed to be, it will be because you're saved and you're following the Lord as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That already preceded this. And the testimony of George Mueller was briefly told in that same issue of Israel, My Glory that I mentioned earlier. Mueller... Uh, you probably know if you know his name at all, was, was widely known for starting from scratch and without soliciting any funds as a matter of principle and commitment. He, he would not solicit any funds, but he built an orphanage that ministered to 2,000 orphans at one time on facilities that covered 13 acres. But Mueller, as the testimony is told in that, in that periodical, was like every other man born a sinner. And actually from the age of 10 up through his entire teenage years and into college, Mueller was a thief. And he was a notorious carouser. One of the biographies that tells his story is called Young Rebel in Bristol. And he was known for being a thief and really kind of a party animal. He was a sensual, ungodly man. At the age of 20, a friend somewhat reluctantly is the way it's described, and it was somewhat reluctant because they just didn't know whether there was any point in inviting Mueller to a Bible study of any kind. But a friend, when he was 20, somewhat reluctantly invited him to a Bible study. And that night, the simple truth of John 3.16 gripped his soul. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he realized he was in danger of perishing in his sin and that only Jesus Christ could save him. And shortly after that, he turned to Christ. He became a Christian. And right away, he felt and desired to share his faith abroad in missions. But that decision was actually immediately tested by falling in love with a Christian woman whose parents, nevertheless, would not permit her to become the wife of a missionary. And at first, he rationalized that perhaps he wasn't really called to be a missionary anyway, that he had just kind of got worked up about that. And for a time, he gave up the pursuit of missions, but then... The Lord used the testimony of another who had given up many of life's comforts to minister to the Jewish people in Poland. And Mueller knew it was what God wanted him to do to break up that relationship with that woman. And he recommitted his life to serving God in missions if that's what the Lord would have. But at that point, the biographies relate that that Mueller was firmly committed to serving the Lord, but he did not actually get the direction in terms of his life's pursuit for 10 years. 
He finished university. He served in several pastorates before God really led him to that orphanage ministry. And I'm just using another example to say what was going on in Mueller's life, again, was response to the early and basic steps in the pathway that led to these later crossroads. All of that has been going on in the lives of of Peter and Andrew and James and John. There's a preparation of their life. There was a response to that preparation to put them in the place where they're now hearing and responding to the call. And I just want to assure anyone here this morning who is even seeking significant direction for your future. And perhaps, maybe someone's here even wondering, have I missed it somewhere along the way? And I'm just spinning my wheels now. I want to tell you that you don't need to fret about this. If you've been responding to the, Lord, to the, to the process of the Lord's work in your life. If you've been resisting, you've been disobedient to the scripture, then then get right about that. But I want to tell you that if you have been sensitive and believing and obedient, and, and you're just trusting the Lord to God, you don't need to worry. Keep on responding and keep on trusting. That's the pathway where the Lord comes to you and makes what's not clear for the future clear. And against the backdrop of of this already established relationship and the clear pathway of discipleship, we want to see some of the dynamics of the call itself. And when we look there in verse number 19, to start with, we notice that Jesus said unto this first two, this first set of brothers, these first two men, He said to them in verse number 19, follow me. And the grammar of that call is a command. It includes an imperative. And and I'm pausing to note this because it is true that God's people again and again by their testimonies indicate that when God makes his direction plain in regards to his will, it really does come with the force of an imperative. It's as if they really didn't choose it at all, but God made the choice. And if you say, how does somebody get there? Well, there, there are several different major factors that, that the scripture indicates the Lord often uses. Um, The scripture itself is obviously the primary place to learn the will of God. And and many of the decisions we face are in black and white, whether it's by command or really explicit principle. And, And you can just be absolutely certain of this. You will never find the will of God violate the clear statements of scripture. I remember, I, I thank the Lord that I had a a Christian godly football coach. And I remember being in the locker room before practice and, and, and my football coach pounding a little podium. And he said, some of you guys are praying about things you have no business praying about. Well, that was provocative. I thought we're supposed to pray about what? I'm thinking we're supposed to be about everything. And he said, some of you guys are praying and asking God for direction about things where God's already made his will clear. 
And you need to stop praying for another answer. We may need to pray for strength to obey what is clear. We need to pray for grace to trust and obey. But if the will of God, if the word of God is clear, the will of God will never violate that. We don't need to ask for other direction about that. In addition, the the Bible will point to other things, like uh, the scripture tells us that God uses key leadership in our lives, whether it's parents or other ordained spiritual leadership. God uses open and closed doors and sometimes awareness of need and and suitable gifts that that, that are fitting for that need. And he can use peace or the absence of it in the heart. Do you know he can even use the desires of a heart that is, that is being developed in, in a, a yielded believer that's delighting in the Lord? Delight thyself also in the Lord and he'll give you what? He'll give you the desires of your heart. It is God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So as you walk with the Lord, God will even use the desires of your heart. And sometimes he'll use your just careful reading of the scripture. And a, and a text of scripture will be quickened by the spirit of God. And you know that's meant for you right then, right now. These are some of the channels through which God, God works. And some of the factors that he uses. But when he makes his will known, the force of the leadership will really grip your heart like a command. And and I can just tell you that in my own personal experience, we have never made a ministerial move. In some cases, they were things wrestled about for years. But by the time it came that God made his will clear, In some cases, he made his will clear so fast, it was mind-boggling after all the years of waiting. But when he made it, we have not made a single move where by the time we got there, we we weren't sure like Esther, Mordecai saying to Esther, who knows whether God has brought you into the kingdom for such a time as this? And we are absolutely certain of that. That's what God would have us to do. And... And in the case of these men who had been serving already while pursuing their occupation, he made it clear. Right now, right in this moment, you're supposed to leave that occupation and now you're supposed to serve me as a matter of vocation. And again, it was clear that this was his choice first and foremost. And when it came to the apostles, and we consider what he called them to, we started by acknowledging that the call came in the form of an imperative. This was a command. This is his doing. But the call had something of two prongs to it. One was what we're seeing here in verse number 19. He saith unto them, first of all, follow me. And then the second prong to the call was, and I will make you fishers of men. And I just want us to consider both aspects of that. The first one, again, to follow him, we do need to be reminded, was was something they were going to do in a very literal, physical way that obviously we aren't today. Because when he said, follow me, he was walking where? He's walking on earth. And they were, for the foreseeable future, 
to travel wherever he traveled, to spend the night wherever he spent the night, and, and to minister wherever he ministered. They were to be true eyewitnesses. And, and, and other scriptures end up confirming that that close, physical, following Jesus and eyewitnesses of where he went and what he did and hearing what he said and actually even later John's going to say in 1 John I mean we touched we heard him with our ears we saw him with our eyes our hands even touched him and the scripture is going to give abundant witness that all of that was going to be critical for the role that those men played in the founding of Christianity the Spirit of God is going to use them to give us the rest of the New Testament. Our, our Christian faith is built upon the Apostles' doctrine. <clears throat> Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, founded upon the, the Apostles' doctrine. Now, though those men were the only men then who have ever lived that received that call, in that sense, to a literal physical manner, following in a literal physical manner, there is application to all of us here, though. We, we tend to want to jump ahead. I've already mentioned the second prong of that. We tend to want to jump ahead to the being fishers of men. Whatever the vocation or the circumstances might be that, 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 that might be down the road for us. We tend to want to jump ahead and say, now, Lord, how can I do that part? How can I do the fisher of men part? But what we need to think of, first of all, is the following part. In John 12 and verse 26, Jesus said, If any man serve me, let him follow me. And there's a specific context about that following in that passage but that is also communicating a, a general principle as well, that if you are going to serve, the first thing you've got to do is really walk with the Lord. And that is true for all believers of all generations. Brethren, we can never really be fully used of the Lord until we get to know Him and learn His ways and do what He does. And that can never happen unless we really immerse ourselves in the scriptures that reveal him to us. A huge part of the ministry that these apostles had that did walk the earth with him was to, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, pen the scriptures that reveal him. And if we're going to be prepared to serve, we have to follow in this sense that we really know our Bible to learn of Jesus Christ. That we give careful attention to understanding his words, that we know him, that we know his mind, that we know how we would represent him. <clears throat> A commission to ministry or, or clear direction for some major decision will not operate again in such a way that bypasses this first occupation of being a true disciple, of following him, of knowing him, of walking with him. And one of the sad realities is that sometimes people do get direction. They do launch into a ministry. And they begin to immerse themselves in, in ministry 
and then forget the first prong. They can get into the ministry and start serving the Lord. You've heard the various forms of the cliche. They start serving the Lord, but forget the Lord that they're serving. And it's ironic, but it can happen so quickly. You might have direction from the Lord about some project, about some job, about some ministry, but you better not neglect the fact that the first prong of the call is to walk in fellowship with the Lord. And that's true whether you're a mechanic or a housewife or a preacher. The first responsibility is to know the Lord and walk with him and fellowship with him through his word. But then do notice the second prong of the call. And it was assurance of a commission to be fishers of men. Now, I think you have probably, like me, thought of that expression, fishers of men, in a general fashion that we need to be what? We need to be evangelistic, right? We need to be another label in our days. We need to be soul winners. So you think of that fishers of men. And I don't think it's out of line to be challenged like that. But I think we can also miss something else that that God intends for us even to make a connection to. And that is the significance of this exact expression for these exact men. Why did the Lord use fishers of men with Peter and Andrew and James and John? Okay? And the answer is because that's what they what? That's what they were. They were fishers. If the Lord said to me, I'm going to make you a fisherman, it, it would be relatively insignificant connection because I'm a non-fisher. I'm trying to remember. I, it, I mean, it was like 10 years ago, and the time before that was, was maybe 10 years before that. All right? So it's a disconnect with a non-fisher. But what was going on with these men is that the Lord is connecting to these men in terms of their own life. With their own direction, their own skills, their own interest. What he's doing by this kind of play on words is, is he's, he's communicating that he's, he's going to take what they already were, he's going to use their backgrounds, their gifts, and their interests, but now transfer them in terms of their immediate and ultimate objectives. And brethren, he can connect to them in what they were, and he can connect to us in what we are, and he can use our makeup and our gifts and our interests and our skills because he's the one who has made us what we are. Wherever your interests are, Wherever your unique abilities are, where some of your gifts are, where some of the things you do that you, you might think are actually not even that big a deal because there's other people that are on platforms or in front of people or whatever, and they do something different. And you might tend to start to minimize what you are, but the reality is people that know you, they know certain things about you that stand out that are unique and you have unique interests. Listen, God can take all of that and connect with you and use you because God's the one who made you what you are. 
And, and there are some exceptions that have been noted in, in history where God just kind of completely turns a man's life circumstances all around. But God typically takes the makeup of what we are and then he just makes us in what we are to be uniquely used of him. You don't have, here's, here's the point. You don't need to sit there and try to think of how to make yourself something different than what you are. What you need to be is be a growing version of who you are and then look for how and where God wants to use what you are for the advancement of his kingdom. If you keep thinking, I have to be something different than I'm not, you're going to excuse yourself. And you're going to think there's no usefulness for me. But God has a usefulness for who you are, right where you are, to be used of him. And if it is going to truly advance his kingdom, then the activity will be to make a difference in the lives of others. Fishers is what connected with them. But to this point, they had been fishers of what? They'd been fishers of fish, and now they're going to be fishers of... They're going to be fishers of men. God, God has given you knowledge and certain skills and opportunities to learn and develop. And you ought to pursue all of those with excellence, whatever the walk of life it is. But God doesn't intend you to pursue excellence in the exercising of gifts merely for you to get something physical and material out of it. He doesn't intend you merely to make a living out of your gifting. Now, the making of a living may be a necessary and an important part of the resources, really, to make a difference in the lives of others. And I don't discount that. If God's given you unique gifts and you've developed them and, and pursued them with excellence to the place that God has, is using all of that to help you make a living, that may be all part of the resources for you to invest in others. But he didn't give it to you just to make the living with. He doesn't intend you merely to to finish a project or build a structure and on and on it goes. And this isn't all just about men either. I think of some of you ladies that really at, at the stage of your life you really are almost completely domestically oriented. And, and housework must be done and as only you ladies can know sometimes it's incredibly tedious labor to get it done. But even while you're doing that, make sure that you're mindful that the, uh, that the great objective of life is not keeping the house, but it's making an investment in people. The people that are all around. And it doesn't matter who you are and what your occupation and what your interest is. God intends your life to be about investing in others for Christ's sake. With these men, it was leave everything and follow me. In Mark chapter 5, though, you don't need to turn. Jesus delivered a man from demon possession. And that guy said, Lord, let me go wherever you go. And in that case, Jesus said, do what? He said to him, go home. But when you go home, what did he tell him to do? Go home and tell your friends and tell your family the great things that I have done for you. 
So whether it's leave everything and go across the world or go home, the ultimate objective is still do what? Go tell people about Jesus. Invest in people. Are you living your life with that as the driving objective? When you engage in ministry, what are you engaging in ministry for? It, it is amazing that sometimes, I mean, you'll hear pastors, and every time it comes up, pastors joke about it, and yet they kind of wince at it. Sometimes you'll hear pastors say, the ministry is great if it weren't for the what? The people. <laughs> but if there's no people, there's no real what? There's no real, there's no real ministry. And even ministry is not supposed to be about me and my ministry. It's supposed to be about the people God has given me to minister to. Several years ago, I was at a conference, and Dr. Ed Nelson was presented some gifts, and there were kind words of thankfulness for the Lord's work in and through his ministry. And he was 87 that day. And he, if you know any of his story, he pastored a large, influential church in Denver, uh, he started multiple other churches. I, I heard one man say that he started 30 and about half of them have split, so he's responsible for 45 or so <coughs> churches. He's been an evangelist for decades. And, and there were multiple people that gave testimony, and there's some PowerPoint, and there are these gifts. And at the conclusion, um, the pastor that was leading the conference um, asked Dr. Nelson if, if he... Uh, wanted to say a few words. And, and he walked up, and he quoted what Mr. Rose led us to read earlier. He quoted, We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. And that's the focus. Ourselves, service of others, for Jesus' sake. And lastly, this morning as we consider this text, I want us to see the response of these men to the call. In describing the response, the first thing that's emphasized is the timing. In verse number 19, Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And verse 20 says, and they what? And they straightway, right away. And at the end of verse 21, talking about James and John, it says, and he called them, in verse 22, and they what? And they immediately. And, and the repetition stands out. There is timing involved in this response. Why do we delay? Why do we delay? And, and sometimes we're, we're waiting for clarity. We're seeking the Lord and so on. But there, there are times where I've got a really clear idea. I mean, it, it is coming as if the force of a command. It's imperative. And sometimes we absolutely know what God would have us to do. And we still delay. Why do we do that? Sometimes it is a matter of of calculating the cost that's involved. And there was cost involved here. 
And even, even that is communicated in the text. In verse 20, it says, And they straightway laughed their nets and followed him. And again, the leaving of the nets was the leaving of their livelihood. The leaving of their occupation. The leaving of everything that supported them. And in verse 22, look at James and John. They immediately left the ship and their who? They, they left their father, who was more than likely the chairman of the whole enterprise. I mean, they're leaving their occupation, but they're also leaving working for dad, who had probably invested in all of this and prepared it for his boys and was passing it down for his boys and so that everybody, everybody could have this whole livelihood. And taking the grandkids away and who knows what else is involved. <clears throat> but they left all to follow. And I want to remind us that the Lord does have the right to call us to abandon anything that would keep us from being fully used in his hands. And it's not a strange thing for the Lord to call us to abandon something that would even be seemingly important and, and, and truly costly and maybe even costly to others. But brethren, if it's truly the Lord's leading, then I come back to that. But if it's truly the Lord's leading, <clears throat> how can we do anything but just right away say, yes, Lord? John Payton was making final preparations in 1856 to serve the Lord on South Pacific Island. And an older believer in one of his last missions conferences, we would call it today, an older believer protested and said, the cannibals, you will be eaten by cannibals. And there is, of course, a, a rightful place for carefulness on multiple fronts. But there's no rightful place for delay when the Lord's will is clear. And John Payton responded, and he knew the man, and he said, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave and there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. When George Mueller, in his college years, fully abandoned himself to serve the Lord, his own earthly father said, that's it, I'm done with you. And took away all of the financial assistance that had been paying his way through college. And for the last two years, his dad took it all away. But that was the beginning of George learning to trust God to supply all his needs 
and it would form a pattern for the rest of his life. And George Mueller, one of the texts that stood out in his, his life's testimony was Psalm 34, 9. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. So, brethren, from, from a position of walking with the Lord, I trust that you know him, that you have repented of your sin, and you have turned to the Lamb of God, who is the only one who can take away the sin of the world, your sin. From a position of knowing him and, and already walking with him. And from a position of trust in the face of what might even seem a significant cost. Purpose to invest. Now. 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 Purpose to invest. Now. While you have the opportunity in making an impact on the lives of others for Christ's sake. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and 